Welcome back, everyone, to the Straight Up Sports Talk podcast. It's weekend prep. We're talking all the latest sports headlines of the weekend. Boy, Sam, were there some this week. It seems like every week we sit here on a Thursday afternoon and say, man, that was a busy week uh, just between Monday and Thursday. But this week seems like it's been even more busy than we've seen you know, all, all season, all NFL season. And, and, you know, even since August, I would, I would venture to guess. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited for some college football to return even more big tens coming back, watching some more ACC big 12 as usual, just sports are starting to get back in the thing, uh, swing of things. Max coming back within two weeks. So yeah, sports are coming back. It's exciting to be alive. They are. We're, we're going to get to those. We're going to talk about the Big Ten a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, some NBA news, specifically with the Pacers. Um, and then we're going to get into some NFL conversation. And of course, everyone's favorite segment, our Lock It Down uh, segment, where we talk uh, the picks for the week. Sam and I, we just made ours. We've, we've got some good ones for you, and uh, I, I, I'm feeling pretty good about my picks this week. Uh, first, let's start in the NBA. Let's start with the Indiana Pacers. They hire a new head coach. They go from one Nate to another Nate. Um, Nate Bjorkren, the new Pacers head coach, hired uh, from uh, Toronto. He was a Toronto assistant under Nick Nurse. Um Sam, your first reaction to this, this was not a name that we saw when this whole Pacers coaching search came. It was Chauncey Billups. It was, you know, potentially Becky Hammond, uh, Mike D'Antoni. Those were the names that kind of rose to the top. And then you get Nate Bjorkren in here. What is your thoughts on, on him and what he can do for this Pacers team? Um, I think I think it's interesting what the Pacers do when the coaching hire. Like I go back to Nate McMillan, and McMillan wasn't a name that just like splashed off the front page, like that everybody knew that the Pacers were going to hire. And I think this just proves the Pacers like to keep their head coaching search under wraps, go with the kind of a name that no one knows, so they can't really poach them. When you think about it, like I had never heard of this guy before. Whenever the announcement was, our uh, October twentieth, whatever time he was hired. So like. It was a. I think this is a good hire. I saw he was a um, the G, a G League head coach had a positive record. Then I think even led the led one of the, his teams to a uh, G League uh, finals appearance. He also had a uh, G League uh, uh, championship with Nick Nurse as an assistant on that team. So I think he's good. I don't really know what his philosophy is coming in, like his offense, defense. I'll have to look into that more. But I think it's a solid hire. Not a name that really splashed out the front page, but hopefully it turns out well. Yeah, and you know, it doesn't have to be a name that, that, that splashes and, and, and makes a big headline. Uh, he was the defensive uh, lead there in Toronto. He ran the defense, he was in charge of the defense during the NBA Finals when Toronto won it. Um, so that is an interesting hire. You mentioned before when we were talking about this back in August and September that you thought the Pacers might go with a more offensive guy and maybe retain Dan Burke who was a great defensive assistant for the Pacers under Nate McMillan. Do you, I mean, do you agree with the Pacers going in a defensive head coaching route rather than an offensive head coaching route where they have struggled for the past couple of seasons? I, 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 think, I think really we need to go with the offensive coach because I think we saw from the playoffs when Victor Oladipo returned with, without our injuries to Sabonis or whatnot, it just seemed like our offense is lacking that explosion. We're more of an, we've been an old school type franchise for the past 20 years from Frank Vogel to Nate McMillan. 
I just want I just want a new guy to kind of lead this Pacers into the 21st century. Kind of go more to that small ball mentality, uh, run and gun type Houston offense, and I thought that would have been beneficial for them because we've been so kind of um, uh, old in our ways that I think it's time to switch things up. We saw that our offense just wasn't there against uh, the Heat, regardless of our defense laying Drogic score 20 plus points or whatever. Our offense just hasn't been there. Like, yes, we get regular season success, but the postseason success is where it matters. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I wanted to bring up that point. You know, Nate wasn't fired because he couldn't win games or whatever. He just couldn't win them when they mattered. He couldn't win them in the playoffs. We never got past the first round. Um, and, and that is why I think. Uh, the Pacers went in a different direction was to get somebody different in the building that maybe can stir the pot. Um, the Indy Star says the Pacers will look 180 degrees different in how they play in an A. McMillan system versus his Nate Bjork, uh, Bjorkren system. It will be interesting to watch. Um, the season doesn't start until January 19th, so we're a little over three months away uh, from the start of the season. Um, and uh, we will we will follow that for sure. I think it's going to be fun to watch. I am interested to see what they do personnel-wise. Are they going to uh, cut some people? Are people going to get picked up in free agency? I think that is something to watch as well. Yeah, I, I know the reports is we're really uh, intent on trying to re-sign Justin Holiday. He's going to command a big market, but we're still going to re-sign him. But I'm interested to see the direction we go in the draft moving forward, the free agency moving forward. We don't have a lot of free agents uh, leaving this offseason. I think it's more two, three years down the road. But maybe we switched it up. Maybe we go with a different philosophy than we have in the drafts. Maybe Kevin Pritchard adapts his to Bjorken's system. We see someone we we wouldn't expect in the draft. Yeah, you got to give the head coaches the pieces that he wants. Otherwise, you cannot blame him for not being successful. Let's switch over to some college football real quick. Uh, LSU dished out a ban for uh, Odell Beckham Jr. two years uh, for handing out $2,000 in cash to four LSU football players after the national championship game. That is something, you know, last national championship game we saw that where OBJ was on the field handing out cash and uh, now finally something came of that. He will be suspended from the university for two years. Not necessarily a big deal, I don't think, to him. I know he does attend some LSU games during the season, but I don't think LSU is getting back to a national championship any time in the next two years. Um, I could be wrong, but I, I just don't foresee that happening. I think there's several other uh, teams in college football that will, will get there first. But, uh, yeah, the other effect of that is LSU will lose eight scholarships over this so this is kind of a big deal for LSU. I mean, you think it's just eight players, but but that can be you know eight eight freshmen that that can make an impact. But I also think they won't necessarily lose sleep over in a way because let's be honest, I don't think they're really uh, at like uh, the need for more four and five stars. Like eight less four stars, eight less five stars. Like I, I'm sure LSU will be fine for this. OBJ just doesn't show up at the facility for two years. Like. The punishment, I don't think, like, it's okay. Like, I don't think it's anything too outrageous, not too lenient, but it's just like, it's whatever. I, I think we'll just move on the, in the next week, and I think time will go on as normal. But I, I think what's more interesting, I don't know if you saw the news, it reminded me of the um, Penn State's head coach recently resigned, the basketball coach over a investigation to his conduct with the players, which wasn't exactly the best to say the least yeah um i have not read up on that I, i've been meaning to but it looked like 
that they were doing some 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 payment action. Is that is that what was going on, or I, was it treatment of players? I, I, I think it's more of the treatment of players, more of the um, uh, Wichita, like the I don't know if you saw in the news, but the Wichita State's kind of like uh, side of things where he's not exactly treating the player the best. Uh, like let let's just say if you want to read up on it, you can. I'm not really going to repeat the comments they allegedly said. Like yeah, but it's, let's let's just say it's like not exactly the best treatment of players. Yeah, uh, I, I did see that. So uh, that'll be interesting to see what Penn State does there. They're going to have to find a new head basketball coach pretty soon because uh, the season starts um, as we're sitting here on October twenty second in a month, a mm-hmm. uh, month and three days to be exact. So uh, that's going to be a quick turnaround for them. We'll, we'll pay attention to that. On the other side of Penn State, thanks at football side, Sam, uh, number eight Penn State. They're paying a visit to the Indiana Hoosiers in Bloomington. On Saturday, 3.30 kickoff, IU's first game of the season. What are you expecting to see out of the Hoosiers this year in 8-4 and four finish in the regular season last year, 8-5 and five after they lost in the Gator Bowl to Tennessee? Um, IU with the, comes out week one with a, with a tough opponent. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, I think the lack of fans there is definitely going to hurt. When you're an underdog, you need that fan support. You need that home atmosphere, and they're kind of lacking. And you know me. I, I'm a big supporter of Michael Penix. I, I've been his supporter since day one. I think he's an excellent athlete and whatnot. But I expect Penn State to take care of business. I know they're supposed to lose their um, leading rusher because he has a undisclosed injury for the rest of the season, potentially. So I think that'll hurt them, but I think Penn State should just do do just fine. IU, without the home kind of field advantage, they're still going to be playing at Memorial Stadium, but it's not going to be the same field, not going to be the same. And I think Penn State should be able to handle business here. I think they do too, but I think it's going to be closer than people are, are saying. IU loves to play these opponents very, very close, especially Ohio State, which look at their crack out at the end of November. Um, I, think, I think that IU plays Penn State pretty close here. I think it's a 10-point, 14-point game when it's all said and done. Um, I think IU plays a good game here. I mean, you got to think, Sam, this is a first game of the year. They haven't had those preseason cupcake teams to play to get their offense flowing. So both teams are coming out extremely cold. Um, and so I think that the first half, um, IU will, will kind of control the offense. Penn State might get things turned out to half. I could be completely wrong, but that's just the way I foresee things. And, and IU really, when you look at their next three games, they're all winnable. Rutgers, uh, Michigan, and Michigan State. Michigan's not going to be easy, but we've hung with Michigan State before. Um, I think those these next three games for, for the Indiana Hoosiers are definitely winnable. You lost to Michigan State last year 40-31, to and you got blown out by Michigan, but uh, you beat Rutgers 35-0. to They're kind of the laughing stock of, of the conference. So I think that... Uh, I think that IU could, you know, maybe go uh, two and one here in the, the next three after Penn State. Wow, that's kind of bold statement. I get what you're saying. I agree with the Michigan State. I feel like that's a definite winnable game. They've got a new head coach in Mel Tucker taking over from Dan Tony, uh, who who's who was there for who knows how long, a long time. I think that's a definite winnable game. But I think Michigan, even though they don't perform against, let's say Ohio State very well. They still, they're, they're still top of the Big Ten, and I think, I think to say that IU can beat them is a bit of a stretch. I think, I think anything's possible. I just don't know if IU's ready yet to take on the powerhouse that is Michigan. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you look at IU last year; they they were an eight and four ball club at the end of the day. They lost to Penn State last year only by seven. 
So they lost 34-27. It was a seven-point game. So I think IU has got definitely have a chance here in these games um, that are against tougher opponents. It's a short season. You're going to have to turn around. It's going to be quick turnarounds for every game. No bye week. Uh, so that will have an effect. But honestly, I think I think IU's got another chance here. Uh, I'm not saying they're going five and five and three. May, maybe going four and four, but. Um, I, I think it's going to be fun to watch these these, these Indiana Hoosiers this year. Um, on the north side of things, Iowa visits Purdue, and uh, that'll be a good matchup. Purdue trying to find some some success after kind of a, a bad season last year. Um, your thoughts on, on Purdue heading into this season. Iowa, again, is going to be there in the Big Ten as well that's going to and should wreak some havoc. Um, I, I think I think this Purdue team is going to be interesting, and I don't know whether Rondale Moore ended up opting back in and is actually going to play. I, I yes, I he is going to play. He's going to play. So I think that helps per, Purdue tremendous. You mentioned the slump from a year ago. It's yeah, it's been a, it's been a they went four and eight last year, almost closed it out in Indiana last year, their last game. That was a super fun game to watch if you didn't have a chance to watch that. I think it's going to be interesting. Purdue's trying to find their way in this Big Ten. Iowa is always, Iowa always finds a way to be in that middle of the pack Big Ten team, no matter what year it is. They always do. They always keep it close with teams. I think I think Iowa will do the same this year. They always find a way to be in that middle of the pack, and I think Iowa should should be able to reasonably handle Purdue in this matchup. Yeah, I, I think they do. I think Iowa wins. Uh, but you know, like you mentioned, saying, they're always going to be there. They're always going to be a team that, that wins a game you you don't expect them to win and loses a game you don't expect them to lose. They're kind of that team, kind of like IU as well. Uh, let's get let, let's just wrap let's just wrap it up here uh, or, or keep going, I guess I should say, with the last team in India that we haven't talked about, Notre Dame, uh, the third ranked team in the nation, going to Pittsburgh uh, to take on the Panthers. Pitt has shown that they can be good this year, uh, but the past couple weeks they've shown some some woes on on the offensive side of the ball, uh, your take on this on this matchup with Pitt and Notre Dame? I, I think this is a must-prove-it game for Notre Dame for a couple reasons. Like, the amount of times that they've had close games and when they're a top-five team is ridiculous. The first week, only be Duke by 14, which they should have handled, should have handled uh, completely. Uh, beat Florida, South Florida handily. Beat Florida State by a decent amount, but not really what you want. And then last week, Louisville, 12-7. As a top-five team, you want to prove yourself you can handle the Clemsons of the world. You want to handle North Carolinas of the world. You want to handle the U's of the world. you got to do better than that. And I think this Pitt team, as bad as they've been over these past couple weeks, has proven under um, their quarterback to, to be better than, I think, what I expected. When you look at their, uh, they beat Syracuse so far, they beat Louisville so far. I mean, they have some solid quality wins. So it's not like this Pitt team is necessarily a slouch. I think, I think if Notre Dame wants to prove themselves, they got to get it done here, not just by a little bit, but by a decent amount. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think a, a commanding, you know, 20-something point victory would um, kind of, Silence the doubters at least for a week uh, on Notre Dame. You look at Pittsburgh; they're three and three after a three and zero start. They've lost three straight, but their losses are one point to NC State and one point to Boston College, and then they lost uh, by twelve to um, Miami. So, 
they've been in close games. I think this will be a relatively close game, uh, but ultimately, again, Notre Dame pulling out in, in, in the final, um, you know, maybe the, in the fourth quarter pulling away there. Uh, when you look at Notre Dame's upcoming schedule, you're at Georgia Tech on Halloween, and then you host number one Clemson. That is going to be a good game to, to keep your eye on. And, and, and Notre Dame could really turn the tide about, you know, hearing themselves, oh, uh, we, we, we play down or we, we play down to good opponents or, 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 or you know, just the, the narrative that they have of not being able to compete with uh, the Clemsons of the world, with the Alabamas, with the uh, LSUs of the world. Yeah, and I, and I think the perception around Notre Dame is that they're always overrated, that whenever they get to play Clemson and Alabama, which we've seen time and time again, they just get smacked like the Oklahomas of the independent world. Like it's just it's just what's been proven to. And if they somehow manage to pull out a win against Clemson, even if it is home, a win over Clemson is a win over Clemson. I think this will shift the perception of Brian Kelly. I think this will shift the perception of the uh, Notre Dame football program in the past recent years if they can get it done on November 7th at home. Yeah, but Clemson is just good. Yeah. They They are good this year. Um, and and they are looking unstoppable, uh, really. At five and zero already, they play Syracuse uh, on Saturday, and then they'll play Boston College on Halloween before before going to Notre Dame. Uh, Sam, let's move to some NFL conversation. Um, let's start out. This was a, this is a topic that I'm you know I have a strong opinion on. The Dolphins they they bench Ryan Fitzpatrick. Some call him Fitzmagic. Some call him Fitzy. Mm-hmm. The Harvard graduate who's played for damn near every NFL team that there is. Uh, what is your take? They they bench Ryan Fitzpatrick for their quarterback that they drafted in Tua Tagovailoa. Mm-hmm. What do you think on this? Was it a good move for the Dolphins? Who are three and three? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't think it was. I get the reasoning behind it because when you're looking at this team and what the Dolphins want to do, they drafted Tua for a reason, and, and I, I don't like it, and I don't agree with the decision, but I get why they did it, and they see Tua who completed just two passes last week and start him or whatever, but the point remains is they see Tua as the guy, and I think that they're trying to to kind of move him out there quicker to see what he's got, because they can't just wait around forever, and we've seen Justin Herbert go in there early and produce. We've seen Joe Burrow go out there and produce. So they're just trying to see what they have. And I don't agree with the decision. Ryan Fitzpatrick has proven time and again, time and time again this season: 1,500 yards, 10 touchdowns, seven picks, like a 70% completion percentage. Led this team to the second in the AFC East, which they probably haven't done in 20 years. Like I think he deserves to ride out until he proves otherwise. But they're on a roll. Why would you stop the momentum when you're doing when you're doing so well? Why wouldn't you try to make a push somehow, some way when when you've been wanting this for the past like ten years? I I just don't understand it. Stand the the I I understand it, but I don't agree with it. Yeah, for the future of the franchise, it's great. Get him in there. Let him. You Ryan Fitzpatrick has already he's he's teed the ball up for him at three and three. Now it's to his chance to hit it out of the park and go on a tear and win the AFC East. I don't agree with the decision at all. Ryan Fitzpatrick has is a vet, veteran quarterback, 14 years in the league, I think it is. He he's played for every team and he's having success this year. Fitzpatrick has never been a guy that people take seriously as he can be a franchise quarterback. 
No, no team has ever picked him up for that reason. It's always been a we have an injury, we need you there, or we're in a lame duck season, we need you, we need you to come fill in. But he's got a commanding win over the 49ers, uh, 43 to 17, and his other two wins are against the Jags and the Jets, who are at the the bottom feeders of the league, and their losses aren't good losses to the Patriots, Bills, and the Seahawks. But again, he's having success. He's won two in a row, and and you pull him from that. I think it, it not only, you know, it sends a bad message to him, and if I was Ryan Fitzpatrick, I would be trying to get traded. I would be trying to get as far away from Miami as possible and, and, and go to a team where, where he will be valued, even if it is at a backup quarterback role. Because once you go to Tua, can you really go back to Fitzpatrick? I, I, I just don't want to see the Dolphins bouncing around. One week it's Fitzpatrick, one week it's Tua. Wow. I don't want to see that. You've got a hard schedule coming up with the Rams and the Cardinals the next two games. You're on a bye week this week. I just don't understand at all why you benched Fitzpatrick at this time. If you were 1-6 or 1-5 or at this point, sure. 2-4, and four, I would even understand it at 2-4. and four. But no, you're 3-3, three and three and you're actually in the running for the AFC East. The New England Patriots are 2-3, and three and the Buffalo Bills are 4-2, and two and, and the Bills keep getting worse as the season goes on. I would keep Fitzpatrick in there. He's already he's he already has that chemistry with those running backs, with the tight ends, with the with the running backs. Um, leave him in there because now Tua has to gain all that trust from those receivers and running backs and tight ends in in literally the whole offense in general. And it's going to be hard for him to do that. I I hate the decision. I think it's going to be terrible for the Dolphins. And I tell you what, I bet you they lose the next two games if Tua plays both. A full both of those games. Maybe, and this just brings me back to what the Buccaneers decided. I believe it was just a year ago with when they had both Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston on the field, and they had to go back and forth and back and forth. They didn't really know who was the guy, and then ultimately ended up Jameis at the end because Ryan Fitzpatrick was struggling. But that's not the case this season, and I think Ryan Fitzpatrick unlike past season deserves a shot like you have to feel for the guy if you watch his press conference he mentioned how heartbroken he was like his kids i think found it out through a text message from one of their friends and it's just like really you're you're gonna do it you're gonna just replace the guy that's been the heart and soul of that team that everybody's Fitz magic is just a coin term that everybody knows we tune into the dolphins to see what he does each week and now like you just shove him to the side like I get it, it's a business at the end of the day, but you don't you don't just stop the momentum. You don't just stop the guy who's who's just the centerpiece of that team, a locker room guy who's just a positive force. You saw him on the sideline of that last game. He was clapping for Tua. He was happy that he got him, and he understood going into the season that it's Tua's job moving forward. He just didn't expect it to be just so abrupt, just out of nowhere, out of left field. And it would be understandable, as you mentioned, if they were one and five or whatever. But three and three, second in the AFC East, just behind the Bills, one game back. You're really, you're really just gonna shove him to the side like he's a piece of garbage. Well, okay. Has an NFL team ever built around Fitzpatrick? No. 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 But have they had success with Fitzpatrick? Yes. I don't know what his career win loss record is. Same. We're gonna look that up uh, real quick. But I, I don't know what that is. But. A team, he's never had a team built for him. It's always been he's playing for this team because this team's going to draft a quarterback 
and then they're going to build around that quarterback. But he has had success with those guys. He has been he he plays with the cards that he has dealt, and he he plays well with the cards that he has dealt. Um, and he's done that every single season. They've ne- nobody's ever built a team around him. The closest you could come to was maybe Buffalo, but he was only there for four years, I think, as a starter. And he, he's just been successful with random Joe Schmo guys who probably aren't going to be there next year. So, and if you're the Miami Dolphins, that's not how you win football games. You don't win in the National Football League between bouncing around with quarterbacks. So if you're sticking with Tua, you better dig your heels in and stay with Tua for the rest of the season. Otherwise, if you keep bouncing back and forth, it's not good for the chemistry of the offense. And, and overall, I think it will be bad for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I agree with you. His record, even though it's not good 58-86, and 86, I think it has to do with more of the teams he's been on, from the Buffaloes to the Titans to the Texans, the Jets. These are all team, they, These are all years when the team wasn't necessarily the best. So, like, you have to kind of give him a pass on those. But 3-3 three and three on this season, you have to roll with him. Like, as, apparently his other nickname is Amish Rifle. Did not know that. That's I, I kind of like that more than Fitzmagic, if I'm being honest. But um, going back to the point, I just think it's a it's it's a terrible move. At the end of the day, it's basically a business decision. You're looking for the future, but why can't why can't you just roll out this season and then start to a next season? Exactly. Or you know, if the wheels fall off, you can you know you, you can um, put you, you can then. put them in then. Exactly. It would make sense. Um, yeah, I mean, you just look at, at, at everywhere he's been, it, it's just insane. The thing that, that gets me, 12 comebacks, 17 game-winning drives uh, for um, for that, um, for, for Fitzpatrick in his career. Um, but when you look at, at his record with Miami, he was 8-11 and with that franchise, but last year, again, they were, they were terrible. They were tanking for Tua, ultimately. And, uh, but, but overall... He is a, a TV icon, if nothing else. I mean, people tune in to, to see him, like you mentioned. But interesting decision from the Dolphins. We'll see how it plays out for him. Um, same as Matt Ryan on the trading block. I mean, there, there's been some conversation, and I, and I said this uh, a couple of weeks ago. If, if the Falcons are indeed wanting to do a full rehaul, remodel of this team, I think, I think Matt Ryan has to go if you want to do a full overhaul. So... Would the, I'd be interested to see if the Falcons would actually entertain trade ideas from other teams on I, Matt Ryan. I, I think so. If you're going to the rebuild, Matt Ryan's 35 years old at this point. I, and I don't know how long he's trying to play in the grand scheme of things, whether he's doing a Drew Brees, Tom Brady, whatever it is. But let's say he's got four years left. I think the, I think the Falcons, if they want to do a rebuild, they got to do it sooner than later. Maybe they wait till after this season when they can draft a quarterback, see where they are in the draft, and make their decision from there. But honestly, I've been saying this for the past couple weeks. If they if he is on the trade blocks, bring him to Indy. I sure I sure as hell want him in Indy more than Philip Rivers. Like you're telling me, you're you have the opportunity to go for a guy who's who's a little bit younger, but yet still better. I mean, I mean, I would be for him coming to Indy, depending on the price value of him. The, and, and I would say if you're going to trade Matt Ryan, you would also unfortunately have to trade Julio Jones. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Come, him coming to Indy is an interesting idea. It's been floated around. Um, 
that won't happen. I, I, I know that I, we know this Colts mm-hmm. organization, Sam. We, we've seen the moves that they make. That is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was the last time that they made a significant trade on the deadline? I mean, it, on it's the deadline, on, no. on the trade deadline. Yeah, exactly. My point. Hardly, you know, hardly ever. Um, and it's true with both with both the Pacers and the Colts. I don't know what it is. They, they just don't do it. They're not going to bring Matt Ryan in. As much as, as it would be to see how he would perform with this team who already has all the weapons in front of him, I, I just don't foresee that happening. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens with Matt Ryan. I think it's going to be an interesting story to follow and watch. Antonio Brown, he has been talked about to go to the Seahawks. He is clear after week eight. How much? I mean, the Seahawks would get so much better if, the, if Antonio Brown came. If he's got his off-the-field football activities under control. Uh, like, of course, the talent's there. That's that's not the issue. That's not what the Patriots released him. That's not why the Raiders released him. That's not why the Steelers got rid of him. The on-the-field stuff, I, I saw him working on the offseason with Russell Wilson. His on-the-field talent is undeniable. I'm pretty sure he was on the all-decade team for 2010 or whatever the deal is. Like, the talent's there. Again, if his off-the-field stuff is is kind of under wraps, then sure. But I'm not confident that it is. I haven't seen anything, any more problems since the past few problems he's had. But at this point, are you really trying to risk it? Like, the Seahawks have something that has worked. I think, what, they're, they're 5-0 and or 4-1 and at this point? Right. Yeah, they're uh, they're undefeated if if memory serves. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Like, yeah. So like he, he like no doubt he would upgrade that receiving core. But are five you and are you willing to risk kind of that off the field stuff, bringing him in and kind of disrupting what you have going on for maybe a second option? Because let's be honest, Tyler Lockett's gonna be the number one guy, no doubt. And you've got DK Metcalf. So are you willing to risk it for a possibly third option? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting. You know, you mentioned the on-field talent is there. It is what he does in the locker room. is what he does off the field that is concerning. Maybe he's changed. Maybe he took the last year and, and changed, um, And but maybe he hasn't. I think that would be something that, that the Seahawks would need to, to, to investigate and find out. Because you don't want him coming in there and disrupting a locker room who's five and zero, um, and, and it's interesting. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel on this. I'm leaning towards the side of don't bring him in because you have Tyler Lockett and you have DK Metcalf, like you mentioned. How are they going to feel if you bring Antonio Brown in? Are, are they going to be like, well, are we not good enough? I mean, we got to get five and zero, whatever. How that would go, what the relationship between DK and Antonio Brown would be, I don't know. I just don't think it is the wisest decision for the Seahawks to bring him in at this point. And if and if the talent was really the ultimate factor, I think you'd see a lot more teams going after him. Like it, it just came out today that the Ravens were once considered, but they're gonna move past without him. So like, I think I think teams are more worried about the off the field stuff than on the field stuff. Because if it was just the on-the-field the on stuff, everybody would be clamoring to sign from the Colts down. But it, it's just it's just a risk. I don't think I don't think teams are willing to risk. Otherwise, they would have already signed him already. Because he's been he's been a free agent for probably over a year now. 
So, yeah, that's just yeah. my take. It, it, yeah, I, I agree with that. If, if there was somebody injured on the Seahawks, 100% bring him in. Somebody on the COVID list, 100% bring him in. At this point in time, I don't think it's a good move for the Seahawks too. Now you have another, you know, about a week and a half before they could sign him. So we'll see where they go on that. Sam, let's get to everyone's favorite segment here. It is our lock it down segment. Sam, you're seven and five. I'm ahead of you at eight and four. We've got six. We're through six weeks and twelve picks. We do two picks each week. Sam, week seven picks. Give them to me. Uh, I'm going with uh, the first one, Packers minus three and a half at the Texans. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Packers had a terrible week last week. Obviously a bounce back week, and I think the Texans, who did put up a nice effort against the Titans in their first week off with uh, without Bill O'Brien, I, I don't think they can re- repeat the same. I don't think this team is built to sustain kind of that amount of points and uh, keep it close with teams like that. So I think the Packers should easily be able to handle the Texans in that one. And moving into my um, next one, Bears plus six at the Rams. I think this is a game that the Bears with their great defense are going to be able to keep it close. I I think the Rams just haven't been able to be the offensive firepower that they once were. And I think this is going to be a lot closer than people expected, a lot closer than the um, uh, sports uh, makers um, say it is with the plus six. I think this is going to be a close one. I think the Rams still get it done. But I think the Bears can keep it close enough to avoid uh, losing the spread. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Rams games, and they've had – uh, a few double-digit wins, but a three-point win against the Cowboys and a eight-point win against the Giants. I think uh, that the Bears will definitely keep it close, um, and that is your Monday night football matchup on on Monday night. So uh, we'll, we'll get to see that. Um, the Packers pick, I agree with. I mean, if, if you listen to Aaron Rodgers' conversation with Pat McAfee on the Pat McAfee Show, he's on every Tuesday. Um, you know, he mentioned that we kind of needed a kick in the butt. He said losing is never a good thing, but it can be helpful. And, um, you know, he, he mentioned that it's kind of good to get knocked down. We can get back up. We've seen our flaws now. We can we know where to adjust them. And I think the Packers are going to go with a route of the Texans. My locks this week, I'm going to go Patriots. Two and a half point favorites against the 49ers. That is in Gillette Stadium. Um I just think that the Patriots, I, the 49ers are good. And, yes, they have their people uh, back. But... I think the Patriots are, are going to come out um, firing, and I think that uh, that they're able to get it done this week. I think that I got Cam Newton back too, mm-hmm. um, so I think I think the Patriots take care of business there. My next matchup is a Sunday night game. I'm going to take the Raiders plus four and a half. They host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think the Raiders cover or win. I think uh, that it's going to be a three point game, swinging either way. Um, the Raiders have been good this year. I mentioned. You know, John Gruden has got this team where he wants them. They've had a quiet offseason, no hard knocks, nothing like that. And so they've been ready for this um, for this matchup for quite some time. They had a bye week last week, I believe, and now they're coming to play the Bucks. I think the Raiders ultimately win this game, or, or, you know, I think they'll at least cover the four-point spread. Come back on Monday. We'll, we'll talk about our locks, uh, who won and who didn't. Sam, you got anything else before we head out this evening? Uh, not really. Vikings trade in Gakwe. He's been traded the second time on the Ravens, so we'll have to see how he adjusts in that Ravens, which has already been super impressive. Their defense has been amazing. So he just, even um, 
even makes it uh, even better in the Vikings. I don't know what they're doing when their defense looks kind of lackluster. They're shipping away talent for third and fifth round picks. It doesn't make sense, but yeah, that's about it. Yeah, your bye weeks this week are Colts, Dolphins, Vikings, and Ravens. Uh, th- those are the teams on bye here in week number seven. Come back on Monday for Monday Mayhem. And follow us on Twitter, Straight Up Sports Talk on Twitter, where you can find all of our latest episodes right there at the click of your finger. That's it. Force Dev Dumb and I'm Grant Covey. Come back next week and uh, have a great day.